0: Well, I want to speak this morning uh, <clears throat> on the dangers of false assurance. The danger of false assurance based on Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This text is taken from the last of the seven letters. uh, The Lord Jesus Christ wrote himself to the churches. Um, This last one addressed to the church at Laodicea we think probably, or academics think, a church plant from the church at Colossae. Laodicea is not far from Colossae, in Phrygia, which is modern-day Turkey. Now, the previous six churches the Lord Jesus had written to all had their problems. False teaching and persecution and so on. But this church at Laodicea, I think, had the biggest problem of all. Lukewarm and indifferent hearts towards God. They were what we call Christians in name only, nominal Christians. Nominal Christianity is a big problem in our society today. They were neither luke, they were lukewarm, they were neither cold nor hot, and the Lord Jesus said, "I will sick you or spew you out of my mouth." And like so many compromised nominal churches today, the Lord Jesus Christ is pictured here being left outside, knocking on the door, not in but out. This church had seen obviously previous blessing but it had nosedived, it had deteriorated from what it was. In the epistle to the Colossians Paul sends greetings to them through a Laodicean named Nymphos and the church in his house and he tells the Colossians to share the letter with the Laodiceans in chapter 4 verse 15 of of Colossians salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house and when this epistle is read among you cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea well this demonstrates that this church once was an evangelistic church it founded this church in Laodicea you see false nominal Christianity can develop in places where previously God's blessing has been we know this of course from the bible There was a great revival of repentance among the Jews in the days of John the Baptist, wasn't there? But it didn't last. He was a burning and a shining light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light, said the Lord Jesus Christ. Only for a season. Many thousands followed the Lord Jesus Christ And were greatly affected by his preaching and by his miracles. But John tells us that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And even in the apostolic New Testament church there were false Christians. Paul wrote to the Philippians. For as many walk of whom I have told you often. And now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, like the parable of the seed that Jesus taught, there is there is in many the promise of fruit, but only some, only some are truly the planting of the Lord. The true and the false believer are like the weeds or the tares in the parable of that Jesus told they both grow together in the visible church of Christ until the harvest at the end of time when the angel reapers make a great division a great ingathering and they separate the weeds the tares from the true wheat they separate the true from the false saints and in another place the Lord Jesus as we read speaks of the final judgment at the end of time when he will say to many who professed him it appears the majority of people who professed his name I never knew you depart from me And our text then today touches on a very important subject. The danger of a false profession of faith. And the danger of a false assurance. See these Laodiceans thought they were rich. They thought they had need of nothing. And yet they didn't know that they were wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They thought they were okay, but in fact they were in a pitiable condition. And that's the worst of all possible worlds, isn't it? There are those who are unsaved who know they're unsaved. Well, that's not good, but at least they know they're unsaved. There are those that are saved who think they're unsaved. That's a big problem. But at least they're saved. But what about those who are unsaved but think that they're saved? They're in the worst position of everyone because they're deceived. What could be more dangerous to the the soul than believing that you're saved, believing that you're right with God and yet the whole time You're wretched and miserable and poor. You see, false assurance of faith is a fateful thing. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's not uh, my intention to disturb the true assurance of true Christians here today. And if you're truly saved, whether you feel that or not, you can never lose your salvation. Lacking assurance of faith is a problem, but that can be addressed. It can be addressed through preaching and through conversation, Christian leaders. But the problem I'm dealing with today is a far greater problem than the saved Christian lacking assurance. This is a a problem that will take you to hell. The greatest danger is to go all the way through life, attending church, being fully convinced that you are saved, and then fully convinced that you will be okay. On the final day of judgment, you hear God say to you, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, there is such a thing as a counterfeit, a false assurance of faith. There is a form of assurance that gives a false peace and a false joy, which convinces you that everything is okay with you spiritually and that you don't need anything at all. That's the situation these Laodiceans were in. It's a kind of Christianity that featured to some extent in the church at Corinth, where Paul tells them that they're all puffed up and that they lack mourning over their sin. So much so that Paul even had to tell them to examine themselves in the 13th chapter to see whether they were even in the faith at all. How is it that that this state of affairs can arise? How is it possible to get into this spiritual condition Like the Laodiceans, where you feel well but you're sick. There's all sorts of uh, physical problems, blood pressure is one where you, you can feel perfectly well for a long time, but you're actually carrying something really dangerous. there's all sorts of asymptomatic infections where you there are no symptoms you don't feel anything at least at the beginning stages but you're infected and there's a spiritual equivalent this false assurance you no know, evidence of this um, false assurance is all around us isn't it in the world it ranges from the blatant and the obvious to the more subtle forms of a false assurance. We come across the more blatant kind often at funerals, don't we? Where it seems the only thing you have to do to get into heaven is to die. And even the biggest scoundrels in life seem to become a saint once they're dead. And one of the great heresies that is alive and well in the church and in the world today is the doctrine of Christian universalism, the teaching that in the end everyone is saved. Somehow, through Christ, all will be saved. Do you know, that's a heresy. It's not taught in scripture. The scriptures are clear that it is only those who no real salvation through Christ in life that will be with him in eternity after death. Those who are not saved in life do not go to heaven. They do not go to any other place to prepare for heaven either. You go to a place called hell, which Jesus himself spoke of and warned of more than any other person in scripture. That's a fact, if you add it all up. I mean, unlike many evangelicals, he didn't talk about hell with a kind of glee and a glibness. He talked about it with tears and a broken heart, but he he spoke about it all the time. In a a book called The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis wrote these words of Hell. He said, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. But it has, this is hell, but it has the full support of scripture and especially of our Lord's own words. False teaching can lead to false assurance, which is why... I keep emphasising to you that theology and doctrine and knowing the Bible is so important. You see, many are deceived into a false sense of being a true Christian through false teaching. I think one of the biggest false teachings today, and has been perhaps throughout church history, is... Sacerdotalism is a word which means the belief that priests are essential mediators between God and man. Sacerdotalism is a massive problem in the world. That you can't have a relationship directly with God; it has to be mediated by by a, a priest. And many also are deceived into a false assurance through, in other words, sacramentalism. The teaching that the sacraments dispense divine life to us and are essential for salvation. Now in Reformed churches, the two sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism are very important. And I think you cannot... We know we really need to pay great attention to the importance of the sacraments. But you know, the sacraments have never saved a single soul. And if you put your trust in the mediatorial work of a priest or in the sacraments, you have a false assurance. You see, the church is not the ground of Christian salvation, nor are her sacraments. A man is justified by faith in Jesus Christ. By believing in Jesus Christ, you are taken out of the world, and by, the, by an operation of the Holy Spirit, you are united to Christ, and therefore you are united to his body, the church. It is through faith in Christ that you are saved. Not through any external rite or symbol or priestly function. And you know so many will face Christ on that final day. With a kind of false assurance. Relying on their baptism. Relying on the commendation of the dying in ritual prayers, relying on the sacrament of reconciliation, and so on. And Christ will say, I never knew you. I never knew you directly. You never came to me immediately, directly, and I never knew you. You and I never had a relationship. That's the big difference. Now this is not just a danger for Roman Catholics, for the Orthodox Church and for Anglo-Catholics. The dangers of false assurance are just as real for the Evangelical Church as well. Christians relying on their baptism, either the Reformed infant baptism or believers' baptism, I don't think there's any difference in the problem. Believing that an external baptism is the ground of their standing before God. How many go through believers' baptism and their subsequent life shows that they were not a believer at all? I think it's even worse in America where there are literally millions of people baptized and their lives are no different afterwards than before no we are not saved by any sacrament whether it's a reformed sacrament or a Catholic or Anglo-Catholic or Orthodox sacrament there are many who subconsciously assume that being saved and going to church are the same thing now don't get me wrong if you're saved you should go to church But assurance, putting my assurance in my church membership and in my active involvement in my chapel or my church is a false assurance. Many evangelicals base their assurance of salvation on their outward response to the evangelist. The recital of a sinner's prayer and the assurance falsely given often that because you have said that prayer you are now saved. Reliance on deciding for Christ by raising your arm or going to the front in response to an altar call. You see I'm not necessarily saying saying those things can never happen but if you place your confidence and your faith in your response to the gospel then that's a false assurance placing your faith on my decision on my testimony on my experience is a false false ground it's a a foundation of sound Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones often spoke of people being ushered into the Christian life far too quickly and I believe that's true and in a nod to the reformed world he often warned of the dangers of just a bare intellectual agreement with Christianity without knowing the power of the truth a form of godliness but without knowing the power thereof You see, being a Christian is far more uh, than being prepared to say that something is true. Even if what you're saying is true, is good. Even if it's a reformed creed or catechism. Being a Christian isn't just as saying, I agree with that. You have to know the power and life of the Holy Spirit. You have to be born again. You see, the scripture says the devils, the demons, believe and tremble that there are no atheist demons. Every single one of them believes in God. But they tremble and they're reserved in chains, literally in chains, waiting for that time when they will be cast into the fire in the lake of fire. Yes, there's a false assurance that can arise from just an intellectual conformity to reformed theology. There can be a kind of pride in the sense of superiority, a tendency to write everyone else off in the evangelical world who don't exactly agree with our way of teaching. But you see, that can generate a false assurance From a sense of being, I'm in the know, I'm one of the ones who know, I'm one of the ones who have it right. But what use is it to be a man of the Word if you're not a man of the Holy Spirit, too? The Wesleys and the Whitfield were always saying it's the Word and the Spirit. If we're not born into life by the Holy Spirit, if we're not filled with the Spirit, if like our Lord Jesus we are not led and driven by the power of the Holy Spirit and the word, then we are we're dry and lifeless and powerless. The New Testament gives many examples of people who said the right things but they weren't saved. I don't think the New Testament church was very easy to join in actual fact. They had to be very careful. They had many enemies. You had to subscribe to the apostolic truth. You had to try and give some evidence that you were really a Christian. Yet even in that context, even with those controls... False believers found their way in. We know this from such, a, such epistles as 1, 2 and 3 John. Um, false believers, little antichrists, John calls them, have appeared. From where? Inside the church. Little children, it is the last time and as you have heard that antichrist shall come... Even now there are many antichrists, many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. People who had agreed with the apostolic faith turned out to be little antichrists. It's a warning isn't it they gave every appearance of being orthodox and sound and yet john says they were not others we think of the early verses of hebrews chapter 6 people who had been admit, admitted to the church people who had said the right things who'd given every appearance of being saved who had even had some religious experiences, but they were never truly born again. And know there are thousands and thousands of young people and others who are swept up in the emotion of some contemporary music. I don't, I don't denounce all contemporary music, but there's a certain kind which generates a false emotion. And you can see them with arms in the air. With tears flowing down their cheeks. They're tasting of the heavenly gift. They're partaking at some level of the Holy Ghost. They're influenced by the powers of the world to come. But they soon fall away. And their lives are unchanged. It's a false assurance. It's a false faith. And you can be deceived by false religious experiences. Perhaps the biggest reason for false assurance is legalism or works righteousness. Put simply, the idea that your good life will get you into heaven. I think that's the biggest problem of all. Relying on the fact that you have lived a good life, that you've done much good in the world. Maybe you've worked with the homeless, maybe you've been a teacher and you've taught the young you may be uh, been in the medical profession, all marvellous things, but they're not the basis for being right with God, either now or when you die. Civic virtue is not enough. Personal morality is not enough. Compassion and kindness to others is not enough. You see, to qualify for God's acceptance is an exam no one can pass. St. Augustine said, even our best virtues are but splendid vices. You see, the biblical standard of goodness, the biblical standard of what a good man or a good woman is, is no less than the righteousness of God himself. And by that standard, which is perfection, there is not one single righteous person In the whole world, nor has there ever been. And all the people that the world looks up to are not, they've fallen short of the standard of God. Mahatma Gandhi, Gautama Buddha, Muhammad, no guru, no pope, no saint has been good enough. They've all fallen short. Because no one can reach the standard of perfect conformity to the law of God and the pure desire to fulfill the law of God every moment and every second of your life. In fact, if there are not not enough good works in all the world to build up enough credit with God to find acceptance with him, even if you could do all the good, all the good that it is possible to do, it still would not be enough. We cannot generate enough goodness. We cannot generate enough credit. We can't get that scale to to weigh correctly to make us right in the sight of God. And that's why relying on our good life lived is a false assurance. The scriptures often make it clear that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. The message of the gospel is that the only way to be saved, the only way to be in a relationship with God and to go to God when we die, is to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the fact that Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment of our sins in our place. And then upon the exercise of our faith in Christ and him alone for salvation, what happens? We are justified. We are made right in the sight of God. We are given or we are clothed with the righteousness, the perfect goodness of Christ. So instead of working for acceptance with God, we are given it as a free gift. And when God looks upon us, He no longer sees our sin and our failure. He sees us as righteous and perfect in His sight. It's not us working to get right with God, it is God working in us to make us right in His sight. God is doing the work we receive and believe. I think those are some of the ways that false assurance can be generated. This sense that we're okay with God, but the whole time we're in this dreadful spiritual condition. We're self-satisfied and self-sufficient like the Laodiceans. I need nothing. And yet we are of all men the most miserable, wretched and poor and blind and naked we've been deceived into a false assurance and I think there are millions in that condition today even as we speak but what are some of the warning signs that you may be subject to this deception this false assurance Well, I think one sign is that if you claim to be a Christian and there has been no radical change in your life it is likely that you are subject to a false assurance of faith because the biblical idea the biblical picture of a true Christian is someone who has literally been born again that is life restarts by receiving a new life a divine life the life, literally the life of God in the soul of man. Now there is a counterfeit to that. A forgery, a false imitation that can deceive you and others. It's possible to look remarkably remarkably like the real thing. I mean, all, all forgeries have to, to do that or they're not worth saying they're a forgery, are they? A false imitation that... Can deceive well how does this happen I think this is quite common you begin to feel guilty about your sin you begin to become dissatisfied even guilty about the way you live maybe you're a young man and you you, you have children now and you realise you can't live like you used to live as a single person you may be older, you may have grandchildren, you, you need to buck up, you need to sort your life out. And you're ashamed of yourself. You may have a drinking problem or a problem with drugs and you come under the influence of Christianity and you decide to adopt Christianity. You decide to believe it and try to live according to Christianity. You may even join a church. And you put a curb on yourself. You get rid of your worst faults, and you and adopt this new way of life. And you become a church member. You partake of the Eucharist, and you pray out. You may even pray out loud if it's a congregational type church that you've joined. And you pass as one of the Christians. And yet it's all done by an effort of the will. It's all done by you exercising your own determination and willpower. The religion helps, yes. But you've done it. You've modified your life. You've pulled yourself together. And you've modified yourself to such an extent that others look at you and think you're a Christian. And yet you may not be a Christian at all. How do you know? Because you lack something a true Christian has. A new principle of life within you. At the core of you there is... This Holy Spirit who is seeking to control you, not not running roughshod over your will because your will is free, now you are a Christian. But that you are aware of something entirely new within you, a sense of being indwelt and mastered by someone other than yourself. To use biblical language, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I sometimes wonder whether we should pack in asking people if they're Christians because everyone, you know, they either say no or yes, don't they? And most of the time when people say yes, you know it's not true. We should ask people, does Christ live in you? Does Christ dwell in you? You see, that's the difference. The Christian... Like the Apostle Paul can say, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Am I aware of this in me today? Do you have a sense of your old life ending and a new life beginning? Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not me that's generating all this change in my life. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Christ. It's God dwelling in me. There's a new life in me. It's not so much what I have done. But what is being done in me and what is being done to me. It's more than a modification. It's like a whole new engine in the car. I cooperate and I use my free will and I give all that I can give. But I, I have this sense that I'm being shaped. I'm being made into something by a master craftsman. And more and more as I get older, I'm the product of his workmanship of God's workmanship do you know if you have no sense of that dear friends then you've probably never been born again you've never been baptised by the Holy Spirit into Christ and into the church of Christ you're not a member of his true body you're poor and wretched and blind and naked and the terrible thing is, is when you think you're okay, and you're not Another sign is uh, often with people with a false assurance of faith is that they they, they kind of have a pride and an arrogance. They don't like any talk of self-examination and if you prod them and press them they, they react sharply. They don't like to think that they're not fully there. In many ways, they seem to have less trouble with the Christian life than many around them. They don't seem to have a doubt. They never seem to struggle. Of course, I'm a Christian, they say. And in fact, they may look down on the weaknesses of others. They're full of health, at least they think they are. And like the Laodiceans, they feel rich, they don't need anything. There's no sense of any kind of inward war going on. There's no sense of any struggle between the flesh and the spirit. There's no sense of a conflict. And unlike true Christians, they do not feel like they're in this life and death battle against the world, the flesh and the devil. If you're struggling today with sin, it's it's, it's almost undoubtedly a a sign that you're a true believer if you're not struggling with sin it probably means you're you're not even in the war the true Christian never says of course I'm saved he says it's an amazing thing that that I should be saved and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's the true Christian's attitude. Martin Luther wrote, May a merciful God preserve me from a Christian church in which everyone is a saint. I want to be and remain in a church in the church and little flock of the faint hearted the feeble and the ailing who feel and recognize the wretchedness of their sins who sigh and cry to God incessantly for comfort and help who believe in the forgiveness of sins that's what a true church is isn't it not, not a bunch of people who think they've got it all sorted it's people who know they're weak And they need the Lord Jesus Christ. But with false assurance there's this overconfidence, this glibness, this frivolity. Everything is always happy all the day. All is always peace and joy and they're they're never down, they never struggle. No need for anything. And yet, when you get to know them, their, their, their life doesn't match up to their confidence You'd think that they were greater Christians than the Apostle Paul and Peter and the way they talk but when you get to know them there's this massive gap between what they claim and what they are. Just finally they often this is often characterized in a similar way to the Laodiceans in Being deluded to think that you have arrived and do not need anything more from God. There's no spiritual hunger. I received everything at my conversion. Or I received everything at my experience of some kind of second blessing. And I've had it all. And I don't need anything more from God. The true Christian, in a sense, is always dissatisfied with himself. He's always berating himself. He, he's often urging himself on to greater obedience. He, he's never happy with himself or herself. There's no hungering or thirsting. The true Christian is like the Apostle Paul. He was, although he was one of the greatest Christians, he always wanted more, didn't he? He had all the gifts and the experiences you could imagine. And yet he said, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark. For the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ well dear friends I hope you've got that desire in you today to know him in the power of his resurrection to even be willing to know the fellowship of his sufferings and to be made conformable unto him in death Let me put it simply as I close, do you have a love for the Saviour in your heart? And a desire to know him more? I'm not saying are you have you conquered all your problems, have you conquered all your sins? You haven't. I'm saying do you have a desire to, to be holy? Or do you see in yourself the marks of a false assurance? You are deceived and misguided you use the label Christian but you never produce any consistent fruit of the Holy Spirit what does Christ say about nominal Christianity I will spew you out of my mouth and yet there's gospel hope even for those under this false assurance because Jesus says I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment and that the shame of thy nakedness does not appear and anoint thine eyes that thou mayest see. You see Christ offers you even if you're a false believer today he offers you free salvation and free mercy and the riches of a true and genuine faith. You have to be zealous and repent Jesus says in verse 19 But if you if you zealously repent of this false assurance and this false belief, then you can know true the true gold of a true faith. You can know the white raiment of of the righteousness of Christ being imputed to you. You can have the eye soul, the eye ointment on your life so that for the first time you can really see. And all the blindness. And ignorance can be taken away. But it has to be found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friend, recognize today your desperate need. Repent of false religion. Cease fleshly working and striving. And accept the gift of a free salvation. From the hands, the loving hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Teverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com That's grace2seekers at gmail.com Alternatively, you can visit our website at co www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk